1: Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Jennifer Mandelblatt, co-founder and executive director of Platform, a new training and lobbying organization dedicated to amplifying young women's voices in the rooms where decisions are made. Thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you so much, Jordan. I'm really grateful to be talking to you and just so thankful for all your work. So thanks for having me. Thank
1: you, Jennifer. I appreciate that quite a lot. So could you tell us about how Platform came to be? What's the story?
2: Oh, it is a good story. (laughs) Uh, So I'll I'll take you to the beginning and, and show you how we got to the organization we are today because that was not at all the game plan. We never set out to create an organization but back in 2014, when I guess gridlock was our most pressing question and, and problem, we were talking, I was interning on Capitol Hill, and I had the opportunity to meet with Senator then Senator Tom Harkin, and we each got to ask a question. And so I asked, what can college students do to improve the workplace for women during this gridlock? And he said, we haven't seen college students come together in force since the Vietnam War, but when they did, their government and their community listened. And we need to see that again. We need to see young people come together to put aside differences and say if you want our votes you have to protect our rights and so that definitely sparked something in me i think one of the key takeaways that we've learned with platform is not necessarily that we're putting aside our differences but we are learning from and celebrating and addressing our differences to create holistic conversations and solutions and a movement that is truly representative of everyone who comes to the table with platform but so i sat on that idea for a little bit and all credit goes to the wonderful women on my team because they saw that it needed to be more than an idea and an idea. And so we got together and shared this common feeling of being so tired of being pushed to the sidelines, a feeling that we were unqualified to make decisions about our bodies, our lives and our futures. And seeing our friends and family discount their own voices and their own power because history books and teachers and media trolls and all that jazz have told us time and time again that women can't lead and shouldn't lead and are unqualified but we saw the power in each other and if we could celebrate that power in each other that meant that we could do something about it and so we decided to host a convention ahead of the 2016 elections to get young women motivated and engaged and Connecting them to their lawmakers to say, if you want our votes, you have to protect our rights. And we finished the convention, and it was we were going to be done. And then we realized we had built this community of women. We realized that the world started revealing itself even more. The convention was in 2016, so the election. Uh, I don't think the world changed after, but it definitely showed its true colors and we weren't ready to pack up. We knew that there were more tomorrows that needed creating and more voices that needed amplifying. So we decided to create platform. And so we were trying to figure out how do we take it from this idea of just saying that we are qualified to make decisions about our bodies, lives and futures. And what do we do with that? And so we decided to create this training and lobbying organization. And on the training side, we work to give young women the tools and the confidence to engage in policy decisions, both in their own communities, as well as with their lawmakers. And we teach them how to effectively meet with lawmakers on policy issues. And then we actually go and we hold our lawmakers accountable. And we say again, that that phrase that I'll repeat again and again, if you want our votes, you have to protect our rights. And just knowing that there is such power in, in every young woman and wanting to make sure that they know that and that our lawmakers know that.
1: I really love that. If you want our votes, you have to protect our rights. And I want to dig more into that. But first, could you tell us about the training side of Platform?
2: Definitely. So we have a few different components into our training side. But at the core of what we are doing is we are trying to make it very clear that you don't have to be a policy expert or a wonk or a poli-sci student to get engaged in politics. Because with your story, and while you do not owe anyone your story, you don't owe anyone what is in your heart or your mind, with your story, you are enough and you have enough power to change minds and hearts and policy. And so what we do is every month we send out policy packs or we break down a pressing women's issue. And when I say women's issue, we are trying to disrupt the notion of what is a woman's issue. So yes, equal pay is really, really important, but it's not the only woman's issue. And when we look at equal pay, we have to look at what that means. in for minimum wage what that means for unionization what that means at all levels of our economy and so really trying to engage with issues beyond just the traditional quote-unquote women's issues because every issue is a woman's issue our lives as women intersect with different nuances and realities and experiences and so we have to look at every issue through a gendered lens and so we've done policy packs on immigration rights on disability rights on gun violence prevention sexual violence prevention racial profiling and we break those down into what is the lingo on this issue so making sure that we meet people where they are And so we set out, what is the lingo? What is an executive order? What is legislation? What is, when we were doing gun violence prevention, what is an assault rifle? So again, meeting people where they are. We do an overview of what stakeholders are saying on the issue, what legislation already exists, what laws currently govern, and then ways to get involved. So we do that every month. And then we also do a weekly newsletter where we break down the key policy stories of the week. And it is, our writer is absolutely brilliant and hysterical. And what I love about her approach to the newsletter and she tries to amplify stories that aren't being aren't dominating in the news so we don't cover the Stormy Daniels uh, case we don't cover Russia uh, we definitely will make sure that our readers are informed and can get connected to that information, but we want to highlight the stories that aren't being told and aren't being elevated as much. And so those all go into the training side. We also do workshops where we walk you through the mechanics of how to meet with your lawmakers. We do simulations and it's really fun and exciting and just gets people out of their heads to say, okay, yeah, this is just having a conversation with someone about something I'm really passionate about. So we break those down on the training side and, and really just again, show that you are qualified to make decisions because you might not be a policy expert, but you're an expert in your own life, you are an expert in your own story, you are an expert in the way that you navigate this current political climate and for that very reason have a right to be heard.
1: And what about the lobbying side?
2: Mm-hmm. So the lobbying side we do in a few different capacities. We do single issue lobby days. And so we did a sexual violence prevention lobby day back in January and that actually, so. We did a panel the evening before with incredible leaders in the space. So Shirelle from Feminist Majority Fa- Foundation, from with Catalina from End Rape on Campus. We have this wonderful advocates, Hindley and Leah as well, who there in their, were there in their individual capacities. And they talked us through key changes and issues facing their communities. And then what sexual violence means in terms of an advocacy and policy standpoint. And so we had those conversations and then did a training with the advocates who are in attendance and then geared up for a single issue lobby day. And so we bring in young women in the area, young women who, you know, we will, we also do lobbying in local communities, we'll help local chapters do advocacy days at state and local level. But so this day in particular, we then went into offices, we had 13 or we had five meetings that day, we had 13 meetings at our other sexual violence advocacy day. and had conversations with our lawmakers about changes that we wanted to see, and those those conversations changed at different uh, depending on the offices that we were in. but one of the conversations from our office our meeting with Senator Booker's office led to us creating a resolution that was introduced by Senator Booker, as well as champion Congresswoman Watson Coleman on sexual violence prevention and amplifying underserved voices and communities in the effort to end sexual violence. And so we're having these advocacy days are really policy-based meetings. So we're sharing our opinions, we're sharing our stories and we're getting to work. So we do single issue days like that. But our biggest piece that we're really excited and gearing up for is that at our national convention, which is this July 14th to the 16th, we are creating a five point legislative Agenda, and what's special about this convention and this agenda is that it is created by the people in attendance. It is not about what my voice as an executive director and what I believe we need to change in terms of politics. It's not even just about my team's voice. It's about every young person who comes to our convention, and they're amplifying their needs and the changes that they want to see. And so we will turn that into a legislative agenda. The following Monday, we will go to Capitol Hill, we will ask lawmakers to take the pledge, which means they sign up on to all five pieces of that agenda, as well as we demonstrate through all of their actions, values of dignity and humanity and respect and equality and equity. And if they do so, we in turn will mobilize around them, we will give them a sort of candidate or a lawmaker distinction, and publicize where they stand on different issues. And so really showing again, that if you want our votes, you have to protect our rights. And we are outlining what that looks like and holding them accountable to it.
1: I really appreciate that you understand every issue to be a women's rights issue because because we don't really see intersectionality recognized in the world of electoral politics. Even in progressive circles, we often see economic justice and social justice, racial justice in particular, treated as separate issues that are totally unrelated and can't be discussed together because social justice, queer liberation, it's just too divisive obviously that is not true. Could you explain why and give us a few examples of how these issues intersect?
2: Absolutely. So I think one of the issues that, I mean, we're passionate about all these issues, but one of the ones that we see presenting itself in these conversations is, I guess, going back to equal pay and looking at minimum wage. And we did a disability rights policy pack with incredible fellows at the National Council of Independent Living, and they helped write and put together this pack. And so I want to give them a lot of credit there. But one of the things we looked at is the fact that it is still legal to pay someone with a disability less than the minimum wage. We also look at minimum wage and realize that it is you are not able to live off of a minimum wage with the cost of living today. There are reports coming out about how it's almost impossible to buy or rent a house with the current minimum wage and so we look at equal pay and so we realize that women are making less and then we look at the fact that women make up two-thirds of the low-wage workforce and so when we talk about economic justice there we have to then understand the gender issues at play in the low-wage workforce we also look at how in restaurants you know, if you have to work for your tips because you can also pay tipped workers less than the minimum wage. If you're working for your tips and there's sexual harassment going on, you are often told to grin and bear it because that's how you're getting your paycheck for the day. And so we look at all of those pieces and then we look at the fact that it's, like I said, legal to pay someone with a disability less than the minimum wage. And so it's looking at all of those pieces and understanding how they create a full picture and understanding how the, the compounded burdens that people with more than one disenfranchised, underserved marginalized identity are forced to navigate the world and the lack of support and protections there, and so that's really how we approach these intersectionality of looking at all of these issues and trying to understand how women with different experiences and backgrounds navigate them in those compounded burdens, or you know we'll look at the fact that when you're applying to a job, there was a study done uh, leave it with Syracuse or Rutgers. And they sent out applications for a woman named Jennifer and a man named John. And it was identical applications other than that. And Jennifer got called back less. And when she did get called back or when she did get an offer, her starting salary suggestion was lower. But then we looked at other studies where they looked at disability. And so people with disclosed disabilities were called back significantly less. And then they looked at a study with race and people and white people were called out so were called back so much more often than black and Latinx uh, candidates. And so, you know, it's looking at all those those pieces and realizing that a person who lives at the intersection of any of those identities is going to have face a hell of a lot more barriers than you know, just the white
1: woman. So along those lines, we are recording during Pride Month though our listeners will be tuning in afterwards. What are you doing to support queer and transgender women?
2: Absolutely. I think the first is that we are we are an organization that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of all underserved and underrepresented voices and as a women's organization, we a transgender women are women that is And so in supporting transgender women and being very vocal about the fact that we are for all identifying women uh, and also being very transparent about the fact that we are always trying to improve our language in, in this space and how can we be better allies in this space as women and making sure that our communities are accessible and welcoming and highlighting the voices of transgender gender nonconforming, and queer women in lgbtq communities and so that's just an overarching model an overarching dedication of we will always 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 challenge ourselves to do better and be better and to amplify the voices and to learn from the voices of of non-cisgender uh, women or non-straight women so that's the the one piece the other is that the resolution that we supported that was introduced in Congress back in April for Sexual Assault Awareness Month, we looked at that and understood that the rates of sexual violence for transgender women, for LGBTQ women and LGBTQ communities, for gender nonconforming women are so much greater than cisgender white women. And that doesn't mean we don't need to create a hierarchy of, of whose stories are worse, but Looking at the facts and realizing that we do not have the support uh, and systems and, and communities built to support survivors who are transgender, who are LGBTQ, uh, who are gender nonconforming. And so what we did in that resolution and with the brilliance of the women we worked with and the team we worked with at End Rape on campus and, and want to shout out Catalina, who's their comms director there, have worked together to f- make sure that we called on Congress to amplify the voices of underserved and marginalized women and saying that it is time to listen and learn from their leadership. As a women's organization, we, and as in with Congress, uh, there are times to lead and there are times to support. And that's what we're trying to do. So that was one resolution. And then we're also really excited gearing up for September, working on voter suppression. And so that's our policy pack for September and looking at how just the, the, the compounded voter suppression in terms of if there are ID laws or what it means to reach different communities and disenfranchisement in different communities. And so we're really grateful to be learning from the National Center for Transgender Equality and partnering with them on that. And so that's those are some of the projects that we're working on in particular. But I think being a space where I think one of the things that I recognize in my own leadership and that I know my team recognizes is that we don't have all the answers. We are not always the voice that needs to be heard. A lot of times, you know, my voice doesn't need to be heard. And so all I'm trying to do is create a space where I can help amplify and support other voices.
1: So you don't focus on Stormy Daniels or Russia. Do you talk about Donald Trump?
2: Oh yes. <laughs> um, my so again, the writer uh, for our newsletter, Fiona Fox, who's brilliant. She she has more than one nickname for him, and I love I little Cheeto Man is a is a popular favorite one. Um, but yeah, we are very very vocal in talking about his. I don't even know where to get, His tyranny, his complete assault on rights on justice, his inhumanity, Uh, the list can go on and on. And when I say that we don't talk about Russia and Stormy Daniels, it's not that we don't, we're staying away from those conversations, but we know that every single media source is covering them. But are we covering, you know, is everyone paying attention to the fact that there has been, uh, you know, another person of color shot by police? Or has there been, or there's, um, you know, when Attorney General Jeff Sessions decided to say decided that Title VII didn't apply to transgender individuals or people covering that story. So that's really what I mean when we say we're not just talking about Russia and Stormy Daniels, but oh yes, we are, we are going after Trump.
1: I'm glad to hear that. Could you tell us about how you think Donald Trump fits into the bigger picture? If he's a symptom of the problem rather than the problem itself, how we could have a country that sent him to the White House in the first place?
2: You know when i say why we decided to continue as an organization it wasn't that america changed he didn't change anything in what was happening in the world he helped reveal it and so looking at the systemic barriers the institutionalized racism that exists in our country and he helped unleash it he helped give power to it uh he helped validate it but that that doesn't mean he he didn't create it and so you know, one of the things that we have to do is we have to look at where this is rooted back into and looking at, you know, we were found, this country was founded on the back backs of slaves. And as former First Lady Michelle Obama said, you know, she lived in a house built up on the backs of slaves. And people called her out on that and they were mad and angry. And again, that was just symptomatic of this larger problem of people were not willing, you know, as, white person, uh, we're often in spaces where we're not willing to engage with our own complicity in systems of oppression. And that really became apparent. And so looking, failing to look at what, what this the reality of this country and just, you know, when I was on my college campus, one of the things that incre- the incredible leaders at Black Students United were trying to change was one of the areas on campus was called the plantations. And it uh, technically, it is a botanical gardens. And so they changed it. They advocated for a change to botanical gardens because A, it's the right name and B, uh, it is oppressive to see the name plantation on your college campus. And there was so much anger and backlash. And, and it brings up these questions, why are we, you know, why are we holding on to this hatred and to this racism and to, um, you know, this homophobia, transphobia, and and white supremacy, let's call it what it is, it's white supremacy at its core. And so why are we holding on to this? And I think at root is people don't want to give up power, and they are scared. And it's something that I grapp- we grapple with a lot at Platform is, you know, we saw this when I remember writing our piece about uh, Jeff, Se- Jeff Sessions rolling back t- the Title VII protections. And And trying to figure out what we wanted to say and just having this conversation with each other. of How do we explain that a person is a person and deserves to be treated as a person? And I think there is this fear born out of white supremacy of, oh, my God, what will happen if I recognize the humanity of someone else? I'll be a little less powerful. And then what do I do? And I think all of that just came to head during the 2016 elections and and rose from there.
0: I pretty much live there So if that appeals to you Come join us And
2: we want to give A very special shout out To our executive producer Greg Stevens And our producers Brad Tracy And Renee Garcia Brown
0: Again If you want to continue Hearing interviews And conversations Just like this one We hope you'll visit Patreon.com Slash MillenPolitics That's Patreon.com Slash M-I-L-L-E-N Politics And join the movement Alright Now back to the show now looking
1: at this year's election cycle, something very notable is that women candidates have experienced historic success on the Democratic side, but not so much on the Republican side. Why is that?
2: I think that is a fantastic question and I really don't have the magic answer for that. I think I think a lot of the politics that women are championing, we're realizing that, you know, they're championing issues that that align well with the Democratic Party and, or at least progressively minded people still voting through the Democratic Party. And so I think there's that support there. I think, I remember reading this one article about, you know the way that we talk about Republican women. And there are definitely people like Tommy Larm or whatever the heck her name is, um, who are absolute vile trash and who spew hatred all of the time. And, you know, and I think we call them out. But the way that we talk about Republican women is really fascinating, and whether or not that comes through the party itself and the misogyny embedded within the party. I mean, we see it within the party's politics again and again and again. Uh, but then we see people like Lisa Murkowski who will vote on issues such as health care. Um, and, you know, it's, Oh, the final straw vote. It's not a leadership on the issue, but we'll vote not to repeal Obamacare. And so we do see those displays of of leadership within Republican Party women, but we're not seeing more of them being supported. And I think that's just deeply embedded misogyny at all levels. Um, it's in both parties. I want to be conscious of the fact that it is both parties. I think the Democratic Party is starting to grapple with it more um, and, and at least giving lip service and paying value to it um, and voting with that. But it's just, it's deeply ingrained in the psyche of American politics. Does
1: Platform have a party affiliation?
2: So we are agenda and issue based. uh, But with that, we also need to see a commitment of, of being committed to supporting and respecting and working towards equality and respect for all people. And so we will work with anyone who agrees with that agenda and who agrees with those values and who lives those values. So it, we definitely um, will see that from more, prog- we'll see that from progressive cases. We are a progressive organization in terms of everything that we're fighting for. We also, you know, we're going to hold the democratic party accountable too, even when they align with us on a lot of our issues and a lot of our um Values, But there are times where there was a disability rights bill that was passed by Congress with huge democratic support, even though 500 disability rights organizations spoke out against it. And so we're not just going to fall in line with a party because it's the convenient thing to do or because they're pretty good on all the issues. We're going to stick to our issues. We're going to prioritize young women's rights and support the people who support that.
1: And how would you say you're involved in the 2018 midterms?
2: Yeah, so we're really excited to have finally have our agenda for from this convention. So the convention is July 14th to the 16th. The 16th, we will be, or the 15th rather, we'll be writing and debating that legislative agenda. And the 16th is when we begin lobbying on that agenda. And from that, what we do is if Someone agrees with our legislative agenda; we, they will be they will receive a platform distinction. So it's not an endorsement, but it's saying that you know they're right on par with our values and our issues. And so we'll give them that distinction. And we will, you know, as a C four nonprofit, we can't do a lot of voter mobilization, but we'll definitely make sure that we connect them to organizations who can. But we are going to inform people that these are the candidates who are right on your issues. We'll look at the elected officials who are maybe. Right with us on three of the five issues. So we'll recognize shared values, but we're not going to allow them to cherry pick our rights. And we're not just going to say, okay, good enough. Uh, So we'll be very transparent about where they are on the issues and help inform young women before they head into the voting booths on that, but we'll continue the conversation with the people who are on three to five. And if they never get to that to that full agenda with us, we're going to need to see some change. And then for the people who will not agree with us on our agenda, who will not agree with us on our values, just because you've been in office for thirty years doesn't mean you're entitled to thirty more. And so while we're off, we're doing candidate distinctions to say who's right on the money. We're also going to be making very clear who is actively working against uh, our rights and our values and our. Uh, and our welfare as young people. And so that's what we're really trying to do, really trying to inform people going into the elections. And then we want to be a resource of how to talk to, talk about uh, young women's issues, looking at the intersection of these policies. What do young people care about heading into into the elections? And so we are so grateful that we are coming to a point where a lot of young women have said that they've gotten involved in politics or have become more aware because of our newsletters and policy packs. And so we are doing that again with these elected officials and saying, like our mission at the beginning, if you want our votes, you have to protect our rights. And we are going to make that incredibly transparent leading into the 2018 elections.
1: The sentiment you're discussing here, the lack of trust in public officials, the feeling that candidates on my ballot will not fight for my rights, so they don't deserve my vote which is, I, I think, a fair sentiment. How do you get folks with that sentiment involved?
2: You know, I don't think, elect. first of all, I don't think electoral politics is the answer to everything. I think we are seeing the rise of so many activists and progressive groups who are making the change that we need to see outside of the political space. And, but then we also recognize, when we look at the space that we are navigating right now, we are looking at the huge representation problems we see in office. And while Platform is not training people to run for office. There are incredible organizations who are, and we are happy to uh, direct our community members there to help them run for office one day, uh, if not now. But looking at all of these incredible organizations and saying, you know, there's all this change happening on the outside, but there can also be change right here. And because we are facing this systemic crisis of representation, as the New York City Council, Women's Caucus said, uh, we're facing a systemic crisis of representation. And so we have to make our voices heard and they have to start listening to us because they still have so much power and making our voices heard in those rooms is, is a way to, to start holding them accountable. But then we also see it in places where candidates who are not necessarily the front runners or who are fighting again, fighting a much steeper uphill battle are winning because people are showing up because it comes down to a few votes and every single one of those votes matters. It's about seeing candidates. And we've seen this so much in since 2016 of people who have no you know, a f- official political experience, but have always been community leaders and change makers saying, I need to find someone to unseat this person. I need to find someone to run against the incumbent and then turning around saying, well, I guess it has to be me. And if no one else is going to, going to do it, it has to be me. And so supporting those candidates and finding those people who share our values and sending them to Congress and sending them to all levels of elected office is so important and realizing that it really does come down to there is so much power in being a voter. There is, you know, we talk about the role money plays in politics and money plays too big of a role in politics. And that's what we're really trying to disrupt with our sense of being a lobby core, of we're putting young women's voices in the rooms and we're going to mobilize and we're going to show up to replace the power of money. Because at the end of the day, money is to get the attention of voters. And as voters, we have that power to make a decision. And so... Find the candidates who you agree with and vote for them. Support the candidates who are running, who are not part of the institutions, who don't have the history of of support and the institutionalized support there. Support them. Believe in them. Invest in them. And... Every single campaign brings up issues. And so even if we don't see them walking, winning in, at the polls in November, I think we are going to see this incredible wave. I'm gearing up for it. We all are getting excited for it. But no matter what happens in November, conversations were started because of this this election cycle. And we're going to keep going. And we are going to keep going. And we are going to keep going. And for those of us, uh, and you know, I also want to say in that, that there is such a need to take care of yourselves. And so that's another role I see of platform is that you know, I come into this space with a lot of privilege. And so there are days that are hard days and the people most affected by that need to know that they can take a breath. And there are people who are going to keep fighting and learning from their leadership to keep the movement going onward. And that's what I want platform to be is of saying, there are days that are hard. There are victories that we don't win but we are learning from each other and we are going to keep changing the conversation and pushing forward together. And so every single person that rises up this cycle gets to be a part of changing that conversation.
1: So lastly, how can folks get involved in platform and where can they find you online
2: definitely so we are at platformwomen.org and then at platformwomen on all social media so I highly recommend you go to our website and subscribe to us you can subscribe right at the bottom that will link you to our weekly newsletter and then in that weekly newsletter you will get access to our blog articles you'll get access to our policy packs and all of the events that we're hosting will always be on there uh, we also we do run a blog series so if you are looking for a chair Place to share your voice sometimes posting on Facebook feels like you're screaming into a void and you are looking for new avenues we want to help you support tell your story and we want to support you in telling your story so come to us for blogs and the biggest piece is come to our national convention this July 14th to 16th in Washington DC tickets are available through our website we are also committed to making sure that this success this conference is accessible to all who wish to attend and so please contact us and we can we have some sponsors who have very generously donated tickets so that anyone who wants to attend is able to. And this convention is where you get to help You get to learn from the experts. This is not your typical convention of saying, let's talk about the issues and hope to go do something with it, but it's saying right now we're taking action. You'll learn from incredible activists and leaders. We have Dr. Melissa Harris Perry is one of our keynote speakers. We have wonderful community and and nationwide leaders such as Rafi Friedman Gerspin. We have Quinny Lynn, just Crystal part people I truly, truly admire and cannot wait to continue learning from at convention. You get to at convention help us create our agenda. So it is directly your words influencing the agenda that we create and that we start fighting for. And then we're going to Congress and we are going to hold them accountable. So we really hope you'll join us in, G- in DC July 14th to the 16th. It should be a really exciting weekend to celebrate your power and to amplify your power.
1: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing the work you're doing with our listeners.
2: I really appreciate being on and just thank you again for the incredible work you do to change the conversation.
1: Thank you. That means a lot to us. And I hope we can get you on the podcast again in the future. Now, to our listeners, make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, support us through our Patreon, check out our new shirts and merch at millennialpolitics.co, and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening.